All right, if you've got a copy of God's Word, open it to 1 Peter. And I want us to look at one verse in chapter 2 tonight. Uh, Chris Luke looked at uh, chapter 1 last week. Um, That was not planned by us. We discovered that we were both uh, leaning on a verse out of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oftentimes in movies, um, a lot of times this would be a uh, an action movie, uh, a movie engaged in a thriller or a war or something, you've, you've got a, a typical kind of scene that will occur. Um, the group of heroes that are trying to rescue uh, someone or accomplish a mission, they come to a point in that mission that it seems as if they're not going to accomplish it. Um, they become discouraged. They are frustrated. They are questioning Uh, whether they should have ever even been attempting this mission. And in that general scene in a movie, someone out of the group stands up and gives this incredibly eloquent, rallying speech that reminds them who they are and what they're to be about. And the team or division or whatever, group of people, group of heroes get back on track, accomplish the mission, the, indie, the movie ends all great and fine and dandy. In a very real way, that's sort of what Peter is doing here with this letter, especially in the first chapter, uh, or the first two chapters. He, in one way, is rallying a group of believers. Um, he's rallying a group of believers that are facing some difficulties. Jump back to chapter 1 and look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Here were Christians spread throughout an, an area of the land, and they have been grieved by various trials. They're at that point in their, in their faith, in carrying out their mission where they've come to that point where they are discouraged maybe, um, frustrated, their their attention is focused on circumstances around them that seem to be grievous trials that may be impeding them accomplishing the mission. And one of the things that Peter does at this eloquent first rallying speech that he gives is he draws them to the gospel. Look at what he did in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. A rallying speech reminding them of the gospel. In a very real way, 
I see some similarities to what this, these first century Christians may have been experiencing and things that I hear and observe today. You know, the reality is, yes, our culture is changing and it's changing rapidly. There is legislation, there are movements. Um, our, our staff and our book study, we discussed Tuesday afternoon uh, the homosexual agenda and some of the things that have come across on the Grammys. And I, I've said it before and I firmly believe it. There will come a point, I don't know if it'll be six months from now or 60 years from now, or where uh, as a minister, I may be in a lawsuit because I say, no, I'm not going to marry you because you're two men. Um, our church may face that. So yes, our, our culture seems to be changing drastically. And yet, I also hear oftentimes out of believers a, a point where I think we've, we've lost track of our mission because we're more focused on that, a changing culture, than I think we are on who we are and the purpose that we've been given. And so, in my opinion, verse 9 of chapter 2 is sort of the climax to Peter's rallying speech to the troops to say, whoa, wait a minute, time out. Look at what he says here again. Verse 9 of chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think these people had lost sight of their purpose, their mission, or perhaps they had replaced their mission. See, everyone has a purpose. It's that thing that you get out of bed for in the morning. We are people that function based upon a purpose. Um, the question becomes not, do you have a purpose? But rather, what is your purpose? And is that purpose biblical? Do you get out of bed in the morning and do you function and operate based upon a biblical purpose for life? Or have you replaced your purpose, your biblical purpose, your purpose that God has given you with something else? Peter reminds these first century Christians that our purpose is determined by the Lord. So that's what I want us to examine tonight. I want us to examine verse 9 in the context of our purpose from the Lord. The first reality that I think we're reminded of in this verse is that our purpose, our God-given purpose is, de is um, possible because of what God has accomplished for us in Christ. Um, Peter is really... Um, summarizing what he identified at the very beginning of his rallying speech in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He's, he's summarizing the gospel, and he does that by using four statements or four identity markers. 
Um, here we have them. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession. Four terms, four statements, four identifying markers that really all point to the gospel, to what Christ has accomplished in us. Now, all, all four of these terms are Old Testament, at least for, for us, Old Testament images. Um, in Isaiah 43, listen to these verses. This is verse 20 and 21. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. You see how he's pulling some of these images out of the, the book of Isaiah. Listen to Exodus. This is Exodus chapter 19, verses 2 through 6. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter's taking Old Testament statements, Old Testament identity markers, and applying them to God's people in the first century. And what he's doing in this summary statement is reminding them who they are. You are saved by grace through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race. God chose you. You are a royal priesthood. You are a group of people that, that represent me on earth. You are a holy nation. You are set apart from all others. And you are a people for his own possession. Do you ever think of yourself that way as a possession of God's? Um, think about the movie for a moment, Schindler's List. You know the story, um, World War II, concentration camp, German businessman named Schindler. Um, he ends up spending all the money he made, uh, being a manufacturer in Germany for war goods, saving Jews. I think he saved 1,100, somewhere in there, 1,000 to 1,200 Jews. This, th these Jews became known as the Schindler Juden. I think I pronounced that German right. If you know it in here, correct me, but... They were Schindler Jews. Think about that for a moment. That is an identity marker that these people carry with them. Uh, it is estimated that there's about 7,000 descendants of these Schindler Judens uh, in America and Europe today. Can't you imagine that that is an identity marker that those original 1,000 or 1,100 have passed on to their descendants? We are Schindler Juden. It's, a, it's an identity marker that's going to shape who they are, how they act, what they do. It is a name that they take on that identifies them and directs them and steers them. 
you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a possession of his. He has chosen you to be a people. You are a royal priesthood. You have identity there, and it shapes us. I believe it's the identification that should shape us above all other identifications. There's all these different identity markers that we put on ourselves. I'm an American. I'm a Southerner. Um, I'm Caucasian. Uh, uh, Whatever your political persuasion is, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a Libertarian. I'm a conservative. I'm a liberal. Take them all. Who knows? It is the identity marker of being Christian that should trump all other identity markers. When there is a fill-in-the-blank identity marker, American, Southern, whatever, that does not agree or fit with the identity marker of Christian, Christian trumps all others. That's who we are. And Peter reminds these first-century Christians and us of that in his rallying speech. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know what Jesus did? Remember, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, a holy nation. So the purpose that we have has been determined by God through what Christ has done for us. Now, secondly, what I want to point out is that we are also prepared for our purpose. Jump back in chapter 2 to verses 4 and 5. Another interesting image that that Peter pulls out of the Old Testament. Verses uh, 4 and 5 of of chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here we have this this idea of a living stone. Christ is the living stone. And we are like him. We are living stones. He is the uh, cornerstone. He is the, the first stone, if you will. Isaiah 28, verse 16 says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. So there's the image of Jesus, the cornerstone, the living stone. Now, I'm not a mason or a stone builder, so I had to look up cornerstone. You know, I I know that word, but, um, you know, I always picture, well, yeah, it's that fancy stone that you put in the building somewhere. Well, really what it is, it's the first stone that is laid in a building. And all other stones in a building play off that first cornerstone. The cornerstone sets what shape and structure the whole building will have. And so that's a, it's an apt picture of Jesus. He's the cornerstone. And we are living stones that are being built up into a spiritual house. Very, very interesting uh, concept here of being built up. Um, Greek is a, is a really precise language, or it's more precise than English. 
there's several things that you can pull out from this verb that, that won't really translate in English. Okay, let me mention three of them. In that, that phrase, that verb there, being built up, the, the action is being done to the living stones. Okay? God is building you up. The second thing is, it's not indicating a completed process, but an ongoing process. So God is in the process of building you up into a spiritual house. And thirdly, it's not merely a possibility of you being built up. The verb is conveying that it is a real and actual event. So here's what this means. You, my brother and sister in Christ, tonight, right now, today, are really, actually, in an ongoing manner, being built up by God. God is working actively in your life to develop you into what he intended you to be so that you can function according to the purpose that he has put on us. Now, how, how is this building up accomplished? What, what does he do? Well, our sovereign God, who is firmly on the throne, uses all events and all things in our lives. I want to at least answer that question by focusing on certain graces, oftentimes they're known as graces, that God utilizes to build us up. Um, the study of God's Word. You all knew that. Prayer. Worship. Communion. I, I love the weighty responsibility of administering communion to this body. Um, I'm going to let you into my mind a little bit. Every time I'm serving communion, there's, um, there's one truth that I pray will sink into our hearts. That cup represents Christ's blood, which provides full forgiveness, complete, full. You'll hear me say that all the time. I try and change it up so nobody gets bored, you know, there you go. But that's what I'm trying to communicate because that's what that cup communicates. But then I sit there and I, I pray for the congregation as the elders are putting that cup around. And here's what I pray. Father, build them up. Equip them. Strengthen them. Remind them. Shape them. And I, I see some of you all individually, and I pray for you individually as I'm sitting down there. You know, now I'm also watching for Jimmy's signals. We have some signals between us. He tells me what to do, you know, and I'm making sure when the elders are done. But I pray for you because through communion, that's one of the graces whereby God is building up his people. Community, the fellowship of believers, iron sharpens iron. All that happens there. It's one of the graces that he uses. Another one is service or ministry. God uses that to build us up. Um, I want to I give an opinion about how God builds us up. All of those things I just mentioned are very important. Um, I am a, I'm a teacher by gifting. I have this, I'm always thinking about, okay, well, what scripture fits with that? Whether I'm talking to you one-on-one, -on -one, whether I'm in my own head, whether I'm preparing a lesson, I want God's word to be applied. So, so I, I understand the reality of knowledge, of precision of theology. Um, that's an important thing. 
But I, I also have a, a drive that knowledge has to be applied. And I'm fearful that in today's age, we got a lot of knowledge. As a matter of fact, I think we're oozing knowledge a lot of times. And what concerns me is that in my opinion, this is my opinion, while all of these graces can be neglected by us at times, I'm fearful that one of the main ways that God has designed to build us up is ministry, is service, is active ministry. And we neglect that. And we neglect it to our own detriment. Um, Listen to Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 12 and 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You exist for the work of ministry. Now that can be formalized or informal. I don't really care. But here's my plea, here's my exhortation to you tonight. And to some degree, I'm talking to the choir. Move, be, act, get engaged in ministry. Because I think it is one of the, not the only, but one of the most neglected graces that we have. And yet it's one of the ways that I believe God builds us up. Now, Let me make another comment about this. Um, It does not have to be a formalized thing. Here's what I'm getting at. Are there lost people that you're praying for? Are are there people that, that you've got on your radar that you are actively engaged with and hoping for an opportunity to verbalize the gospel because you're already living out the gospel Now you're looking for the opportunity to take a risk and boldly speak it. Maybe you're involved in an an actual formalized thing and you're teaching or doing something. My concern is, is that as a Christian culture, we're missing the opportunity to be built up through ministry. Let let me even try and illustrate it through a um, sort of a casting vision. I'm, I'm kind of a guy that always thinks these big, picture thoughts and then try to find somebody to implement those big picture thoughts. If you talk to me much, you'll find out. I'll go, really, that's a great idea. Have you thought about this? Um, Right now, in Shelby County, I've heard the number 700. I've heard the number 900. I don't know how many there are. But the believers in our county could resolve, resolve, fix, finish, take care of all the children in foster care that are adoptable. Today, done. Finished. What type of message would that be to our community? You concerned about the fiscal realities of government? Well, how about if we didn't need a foster care department because the Christians take these kids that nobody else wants? You can say whatever you want about marginalized Christians or there's no top, we're, we're being person, whatever. If we do certain things, you can say all you want. You can't say 
that's wrong or bad. You can try, but you're going to look like an idiot. There's plenty of capacity. There's plenty of opportunity. And if God's people in Shelby County would do that, what would God, what would happen? Anyway, all right, thirdly, our purpose as God's people is to proclaim Him. Go back to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now here we have this word, that. It's an interesting word. It's a pretty common word. It's a conjunction, but it's a conjunction that articulates purpose. Really what you ought to read there is, in order that, or so that. You are a holy nation. So that, or in order that, here comes the purpose. God has, God has saved you in Christ in order that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Now let's, let's camp out here for just a second. And I want to make sure you understand this word proclaim. This is the only place in the New Testament where this Greek word is used. Um, it is used in other uh, non-biblical places. And uh, it's actually, it's the Greek word ex angelo. And it has this concept, this idea of publishing abroad. Kind of fits proclaim. You can see why they translate it that way. But I like that because it's not as familiar to us. This is a familiar verse. So think, publish abroad. God saved you in Christ Jesus in order that you might publish abroad. And then it says, his excellency. Some of your translations may say uh, praises. Here's the real idea behind that word. You are to publish abroad the manifestation of divine power. I said said, that's a concept behind excellencies. Well, what is the clearest manifestation of divine power? The man, Jesus Christ. The clearest, most complete picture of divine power. So in essence, your purpose, your reason to get out of bed in the morning is to publish abroad the manifestation of divine power known as Jesus Christ. That's why we exist That's why we're here. That is the purpose that is to drive us and shape us. And so oftentimes I think we've we've replaced that purpose with something else. We replace it with my own comfort, my own happiness, my own well-being. Now, this this whole idea of proclaiming the excellencies or publishing abroad Jesus Christ, it's really quite a common idea. Think about it. Think about word-of-mouth marketing. How many of us 
when we have had a service or bought a product or there's something we really like, we go around talking about it. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a weird Costco dude. I think it's because you can get a drink and a hot dog for a buck fifty, and no coupon needed, you know? Um, I, I buy a lot of clothes at Costco. I bought furniture at Costco. I buy food at Costco. Um, I like Costco. Some of y'all might not like Costco anymore because, you know, it's kind of become a democratic uh, raising thing, but he, play, he pays a fair wage. If you're around me much, I'll talk about Costco. Why? Because I'm impressed with it. How impressed are we with the gospel? How impressed are we with the reality of God became flesh, lived a sinless life, died willingly in your place, and it is through his blood that you have fully, fully forgiven and have hope for all eternity? Are we impressed with that? Are we willing to talk about that? Are we willing to share that with people? It is the reason we are here. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. In order that you might publish abroad the manifestation of his divine power, even Jesus Christ. Well, how, how is it that we go about proclaiming the gospel? Well, certainly, word and deed. You a business owner? What's the purpose of your business? What's the biblical purpose of your business? Why has God granted you a business? Why? So you can publish abroad the manifestation of his divine power. Are you a parent? Do you have children living in your home? Or are you at that glorious stage where you've raised them and they've successfully gotten jobs and left and they come back and visit and they buy you things, right? That happens, right? Keep telling me that. Why are you a parent? Why has God called you to that? Why? So you can publish abroad to your captive audience that you control the purse strings on the manifestation of his divine power, even Jesus Christ. Why do you live in a neighborhood with neighbors? What's the purpose to that? Biblically? So that you can publish abroad the manifestation of his divine power, even Jesus Christ. We live the gospel. It shapes our values, our spending, the way we run our business. Um, If you're married... What's your marriage about? Publishing abroad the manifestation of his divine power. The purpose for why we are here is proclaiming his excellencies. And do we do that? Now there's also the opportunity to make a bold proclamation. Do you take the risk to ruin a friendship and make a bold proclamation of the gospel? I think you have to be wise about that. I think you have to pray for people. You have to develop relationships. And then 
there's a point where it's time to make that all daring thing and bring up spiritual life and bring up Jesus Christ and take the risk of making a bold proclamation, a verbal proclamation of who you are and whose you are and what Christ has done for you. One of the things that uh, in my own prayer life at the end of last year, I was really impressed with, and I brought it up to the staff, and I'm, I'm looking for ways to just kind of massage and influence us as, as a church. Did you know every single Sunday and Wednesday night, there is a proclamation of His excellencies all around this place? And here's an army that know people, that have neighbors and relatives and friends and people. And I want to call us to be a people that invite people to church. There's been studies done. Uh, I think it's Tom Rayner. He's a Southern Baptist, done studies. And there's a whole lot of people that are like, yeah, if somebody would invite me, I'd go. Nobody ever invites me. I want to call this congregation to, with a purposeful effort, begin praying and looking for people that you can invite to church. Why? Because every Sunday, every Wednesday, a women's conference, father-daughter dance, there is a published abroad manifestation of divine power, even Jesus Christ. Will you invite people? So in closing, allow me to stand up and give a rallying speech to us. Yes, yes, I know. Our culture is changing. I get it. I see it. And yes, as Christians, we are increasingly being marginalized, no doubt, and it's going to get worse. And yes, from our limited, finite perspective, it might look bleak. But you, you, all of you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You, all of you, are a holy nation. All of you are a people for his own possession in order that you may publish abroad the manifestation of divine power, Jesus Christ, who called you out of darkness and into the light. Father, you have saved us in Christ, and we are grateful. Father, I beg that you would, you would take your word and sink it into our hearts. And where our purpose, where we have replaced our purpose from you with other purposes, would you show us that and convict, convict us of that? And may we be a people that understand why we exist why we have marriages, why we have homes, why we live. It is to proclaim your excellencies. And would you give us a burden for the lost? Would you give us a boldness to extend invitations, to proclaim the gospel? And would you, would you glorify yourself through that? We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.